It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller and this is the KVMR Evening News. After the latest news headlines from the BBC, Racial Reckoning reports on the aftermath of the shooting of Dante Wright. Legislation to ban fracking has died in the state legislature. You'll hear details on the California report, along with everything you need to know about a new journalism platform known as Substack. After local news and weather, Shirley Frerichs urges us to just say no to single-use plastic. Felton Pruitt talks to Ben Mossman, president of Rise Grass Valley, about the company's plan to reopen the Idaho-Maryland mine. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Samantha Hong Long with today's update. Protesters took to the streets of Brooklyn Center for the third night in a row since a police officer shot and killed Dante Wright. According to the Brooklyn Center Police Chief, Officer Kim Potter accidentally grabbed her gun instead of her taser. Wright's family was joined by the family of George Floyd and other victims of police violence in downtown Minneapolis Tuesday. Floyd's nephew, Brandon Williams, says the officer's so-called mistake is unacceptable. Can you blame Dante for being terrified as a black man in the custody of police? Amen. When you just watched here in Minneapolis, George Floyd murdered. At some point, we need change. At some point, we need better policing. At some point, we need officers to be held accountable, Amen. charged, Amen. and convicted. Amen. According to Brooklyn Center's mayor, both Officer Potter and Chief Gannon have resigned from the city's police department. Meanwhile, the state rested its case in the Derek Chauvin murder trial, allowing the defense to begin calling up its own witnesses. Use of force expert Barry Broad testified that Chauvin's actions last May were objectively reasonable. I felt that Derek Chauvin was justified and was acting with objective reasonableness following Minneapolis Police Department policy and current standards of law enforcement and his interactions with Mr. Floyd. Broad's testimony countered those of the state's witnesses who said that Chauvin's use of force was unnecessary and acted against the Minneapolis Police Department's policy. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Samantha Honglong. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center. Online at racialreckoningmn.org. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As the CDC holds a meeting to discuss Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine, counties across California are halting the use of it. This comes after reports of six cases of women in the U.S. who developed rare and severe blood clots shortly after being vaccinated. KQED health reporter Leslie McClurg has more. It's normal for officials to pause the rollout of a medicine to investigate a rare side effect. It's not clear whether the J&J vaccine caused the blood clots. That's why experts need time to review each patient's medical history. You know, was there something about these women that made them get clots more often than the general population? Uh, Did they have malignancies or cancer? Did they have a family history of clots? That's Dr. Peter Chin Hong. He's an infectious disease expert at UCSF. 
He says, even if it turns out that J&J is the culprit, the chances it will happen again are low. About 6.8 million people in the U.S. have received the J&J vaccine. Only six women received a severe blood clot. That's one in a million chance. Dr. Philip Grant is an infectious disease expert at Stanford. It's a very, very low risk. It's not impossible, but you're much more likely to have a car accident driving to the supermarket. Grant says a person is much more likely to die of COVID in the U.S. Those odds are one in a thousand. Plus, if you do contract the virus, blood clots are a complication. Dr. Catherine Blish is an immunologist at Stanford. So getting COVID... (laughs) is a tenfold higher risk of developing this weird kind of blood clot than getting the vaccine. All three experts stress that the virus is much more dangerous than the potential side effects from the vaccine. For The California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. Legislation that would have banned hydraulic fracking and several other oil extraction methods in California has failed in the state legislature. The bill, which would have also prohibited oil wells near homes, schools, and healthcare facilities, died in a committee yesterday. The state's petroleum industry and some labor unions opposed the bill, arguing it would lead to job losses and higher gas prices at the pump. Environmental groups pushed for the ban, saying oil drilling is a threat to the environment and people's health. And turning to a California mystery, a longtime person of interest has been arrested in the disappearance of Kristen Smart, nearly 25 years after she went missing while walking back to her dorm at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Paul Flores was taken into custody yesterday morning in San Pedro on suspicion of murder. His father has also been booked on suspicion of being an accessory to the crime. San Luis Obispo County Sheriff Ian Parkinson, speaking at a news conference yesterday, says they've never had enough evidence evidence to charge Flores until recently. In March of this year, detectives served another search warrant in Arroyo Grande uh, at the home of Ruben Flores, the father of Paul Flores. Additional evidence related to the Smart invest- investigation was discovered that at that time. Smart was last seen on May 25, 1996, while returning to her dorm from an off-campus party. Flores, who was also a student at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, walked her home. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. The San Francisco-based online newsletter platform Substack has established itself as a home for name-brand journalists who've abandoned mainstream media outlets. Why? Well, in some cases, Substack is offering writers lots of money and editorial freedom. But now Substack's choice of some of the writers it's invited aboard has come under fire. Rachel Myro, KQED senior editor for Silicon Valley Desk, has more. Matt Taibbi. Glenn Greenwald, Matthew Iglesias. If you know their work and you're a fan, you might be subscribing to their newsletters on Substack, now that they're no longer operating out of traditional newsrooms like The Guardian, Vox, and The Atlantic. 
Substack is venture capital financed, $65 million most recently from Andreessen Horowitz, a name brand Silicon Valley VC. Flush with cash, Substack has approached some big name writers with big money, a quarter of a million dollars in some cases, to seed Substack with people who will draw a crowd. Substack Pro Deals, the company calls them on its blog. Creating a stable of writers, many of whom were already controversial, right? Because controversy is what drives attention in a social media context. Sarah T. Roberts co-directs UCLA's Center for Critical Inquiry. Now, new media outlets scooping up headline-grabbing talent is nothing new. Publishers have done it for centuries, Hollywood movie studios, and now social media platforms too. But Roberts says Substack hasn't been transparent about what it's doing. It's vetting and choosing certain people to give them a platform that it supports financially. And that is an editorial decision, which makes them something other than a neutral platform with no politics. Substack declined to comment for this story, but company leaders are posting at length online to counter attacks from critics who are starting to pay close attention to the subset of Substack writers who get the juicy deals. The whiteness, the maleness, the libertarian right-wingness of the group you know, is pretty self-evident. Some non-pro Substack writers are so offended they're leaving the platform and encouraging their readers to do the same. For instance, one writer who identifies as trans last month called out the platform for giving massive advances to writers whose work includes, quote, extreme trans-eliminationist rhetoric. Company leaders replied in another blog post. Here's a bit read by a colleague of mine since, again, Substack wouldn't comment. More than 30 writers have now signed pro deals, and they cover a range of issues, none that can be reasonably construed as anti-trans, and a range of backgrounds. More than half are women, and more than a third are people of color. Not that the company is sharing its Substack pro roles publicly. Also unclear how many disaffected Substack writers and their readers are leaving the platform. Substack's biggest problem, though, may be the fact it's proved it's possible to make VC money off of newsletters. Now Facebook and Twitter are getting into the game, and they have a lot more eyeballs and money to offer writers. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. And that is the California Report for today, Wednesday, April 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening, and talk tomorrow. Nevada County Public Health announced today that two specimens for COVID-19 taken in mid-March were determined to be the B117 variant. One was taken from a patient on the east side of Nevada County and the other from a patient on the west side. The B117 variant was first detected in the United Kingdom. It has been designated as a variant of concern because it is thought to be about 50% more transmissible than the original virus and may cause more severe disease based on the number of hospitalizations and deaths associated with it. The county public health statement noted that the currently available vaccines continue to be effective against the variant. Deputy Public Health Officer Dr. Glenna Trochet said in a statement, Like the discovery of the B1429 variant reported in Nevada County last week from a specimen in February, this is a reminder that every time an individual gets sick with COVID-19, it is an opportunity for the virus to mutate while it replicates within the body.
Speaking to local media today, Dr. Trochet once again emphasized that it is extremely likely that variants are and have been circulating in Nevada County. They simply haven't been discovered through genomic sequencing, which is not happening in a systematic manner. On the subject of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, Nevada County Public Health Director Jill Blake said today that there have been no reports in Nevada County of severe side effects from the J&J vaccine, like the blood clots that have interrupted its use. Blake said that due to small allocations of the J&J vaccine, the pause is having a minimal effect on vaccinations in Nevada County. Dr. Trochet emphasized that the pause in using the vaccine is to educate clinicians on how to recognize and treat what she described as a very rare syndrome. The Sacramento Bee reported today that late Tuesday, the Placerville City Council voted unanimously to remove the noose symbol from its city logo. The noose is associated with the city's Gold Rush era name, Old Hangtown. At the meeting, at least 100 people spoke to the council during public comment, which lasted three hours. Many residents were in favor of removing the noose, saying the image made the city appear unwelcoming. In the regional weather forecast, daytime temperatures rising into the high 70s as we approach the weekend. For Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy tonight with light winds and a low of 47 degrees. Sunny Thursday with a high of 67 degrees and a low near 50. In Truckee this evening, possible snow flurries giving way to mainly clear skies with a low of 20 degrees. Mainly sunny Thursday in Truckee with some afternoon clouds, a high near 55 degrees and a low of 24. In Sacramento, clear tonight with light winds and a low of 46 degrees. Sunny in Sacramento Thursday with a high of 76 degrees and a low of 45. By the weekend, daytime highs will warm to near 90 degrees. The Idaho-Maryland mine in Grass Valley has been closed since 1956. Should it reopen? Ben Mossman thinks so. Felton Pruitt talks to the president of Rise Gold Corporation. We're talking with Ben Mossman. He is the president of Rise Grass Valley. They are the folks that are reopening the Idaho-Maryland mine. This is an interesting project, Ben. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so so Rise Grass Valley is the local company that owns the Idaho Maryland mine, and the and the Idaho Maryland mine is a famous past producing gold mine uh, in Grass Valley. Was once the second largest low gold mine in the entire United States, and was closed in 1942 at its peak production. So it had a thousand employees at the time, and uh, was making a lot of money, um, but was closed down along with all the other gold mines in the U.S. for World War II to help um, help win the war. Uh, it did reopen for for a few years after, but because of the fixed price of gold and the high inflation, uh, closed closed down in 1956 and hasn't been open since then. So, so we own the property. We've put together a, a design and, and a proposal to reopen the mine, and that's currently um, uh, being being looked at by Nevada County, and, and they're preparing a uh, environmental impact report, which was which the draft uh, should be out in a few months. Now. Everybody around here knows where Idaho Maryland Road is. Where exactly is the Idaho Maryland mine? There's two uh, main mines that were joined together. So the Idaho Maryland mine was the original mine, 
and it's on the uh, the corner of Centennial Drive and Idaho Maryland Road. And then the Brunswick Mine is on the corner of uh, Brunswick and East Bennett and Greenhorn. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people would go right drive through the four-way intersection and they take a look to the right, you'll see the old concrete silo. And that's the Brunswick Mine. So, so all of our posts, uh, access and our buildings would be on the Brunswick site, so at Brunswick Road and East Bennett, and and then but the mine you know ran or runs underground between basically those two intersections. So I'm sure you've done some exploration already. What makes you think that there's enough gold uh, still to be harvested, shall we say, or mined? Yeah, so so this mine is is a very famous past producing mine has has produced a lot of gold, about 2.4 million ounces at an average head grade of a half ounce per ton. And and when they were closed down in World War II, they were planning to double the production. So they, they were going to go from 1,000 tons per day to 2,000 tons per day. Uh, and they weren't able to achieve that because of the forced closure. So so they believe there would be a lot of gold left to be mined. And so we've done some drilling below the existing workings. So they've mined down historically to about 1,600 feet below surface. And we've drilled um, about 18 drill holes, so, so uh, diamond drill uh, core holes below where the mining uh, stopped and had quite good results, found a number of gold-bearing quartz veins all the way down to 5,000 feet below surface. And so um, none of drilling has been done to calculate how much gold is there, but we believe that uh, there's a lot of potential for, for uh, future exploration to, to define a significant um, resource. What's your time frame for seeing this actually come to fruition and actually pulling gold out of the mine? Uh, so, so this use permit is, is the first uh, part of that process. So, so it's a well-defined process that's followed um, by the county to grant a use permit, and, and they have to follow the California Environmental Quality Act, which lays out you know, all the different areas which need to be studied. And so, and so uh, the county's consultants review our application and all the technical work. And then they prepare the environmental impact report. So that, that's going to come out uh, quite quickly. Uh, that process um, has a public uh, comment period, and then it has uh, hearings uh, with the board of supervisors. And, and that may be completed uh, sometime before the end of the year if things go well. Uh, once that use permit is approved, that, that's a discretionary authority uh, from the county to reopen the mine. And then a number of other permits are required. So, so there's quite a few different regulators and regulations that need to be followed, other permits that need to be applied for and granted. So, so it's a few years away from, from being actual, um, to be actually you know, ready. How can people get in touch with you if they want more information? Uh, so there's, there's a community-focused website that has all the project uh, information, and it's uh, RISE grassvalley.com and that has quite a few uh, different fact sheets and, and has contact information so so they uh, phone us uh, send an email or sign up for the um, for the contact list and, and and that's a good resource um, for local people to understand more about the project and, and our company We've been talking with Ben Mossman. He's the president of Rise Grass Valley, who are planning on reopening the Idaho Maryland mine. Uh, we thank you for the information, Ben. Great, thanks a lot for the invitation. An expanded version of Felton's interview with Ben Mossman is available on the KVMR website and as part of the Evening News podcast. We close out our newscast tonight with a commentary from Shirley Frerichs. Shirley is a local leader in Waste Not Nevada County and Nevada County Climate Action Now. She has some tips on how to recycle right and do your part to solve the current single-use plastics crisis.
Plastic is now a big issue locally and globally. Actually, it's a crisis. No question, plastic has changed our lives for the better in many ways. And yet, overconsumption and our throwaway habits are now coming around to haunt us. Single-use plastics in particular have made mountains of trash and fouled our streams and oceans all over the world, as well as right here in the Yuba River. It's killed sea life, and now microplastics are threatening human health. We used to send our trash off to Asia, out of sight, out of mind. But the Basel Treaty has stopped countries from doing that. Now we need to deal with our own trash and take steps, big steps, to turn this around fast. Circular economy is the wave of the future to design waste and pollution out of the system to eliminate the concept of waste. Natural resources are limited to make all a growing population needs. So the concept is to reuse them instead of continuing to extract new materials, cutting virgin forests to make TP or just pitching them out. The idea is to keep all the molecules of usable materials in circulation to make new products and keep them out of the landfill where they create methane and other greenhouse gases that contribute to global warming. Climate change and plastic pollution are directly related since plastic is derived from petroleum. Bottom line? The materials we are accustomed to recycling or throwing out of sight, out of mind, have value. They are not waste, if we humans recycle right. It's not hard. It just takes thinking about it, up front, before we buy. We vote and create demand with our money. Reduce demand by saying no to as much single-use plastic as possible. Buy snacks in bulk, not in little packages. Create alternatives. Refill a laundry detergent container at Gaia Soap near SPD. It's a fun research project for the whole family to look for alternative ways to stop using single-use plastic. Plastic bags. No need to throw them in the trash. Waste management cannot take them because they foul their machinery. But you can return them to the designated boxes at B&C Hardware, Safeway, Save Mart, Grocery Outlet, Holiday Markets, and Rite Aid. At Rite Aid, there's no box out front, but just ask. Plastic bottles that have the CRV logo can be taken to the Rite Aid and Kmart for redemption. Just call ahead for the specifics. And they can also be taken to the McCourtney Transfer Station. Check out online plastic packaging recycling with TerraCycle. TerraCycle can take all the plastic packaging to repelletize for new containers. This is circular economy at its best. Laws are coming to force producers of these plastics to take more responsibility and find alternative materials that can be recycled. This is the key to turning things around. The new Cal Recycle Commission on Recycling is looking at all aspects of this recycling crisis to come up with solutions. We can no longer throw these valuable materials away because there is no away. It just goes to landfill. That must change in order to solve the plastic predicament and reduce global warming. The circular economy depends on having a clean stream of material that can be sold and reprocessed. If we the people can commit to taking all contamination out of the materials we put in our recycling bins, we can be assured that material we offer will be kept out of the landfill. Natural resources are limited now. We must refuse, reduce, reuse, repurpose, and recycle right for very good reasons. 
If you would like to have more details on this, please join the Recycle Right Forum, April 21st at 4.30. Information is on the Nevada County Climate Action Now website. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. The KVMR Evening News gets support from Hospice of the Foothills Gift and Thrift Stores, with four locations in Nevada City, Grass Valley, Penn Valley, also Rough and Ready. All proceeds support end-of-life care for patients and families. Information at hospiceofthefoothills.org. And Sierra Timberline, since 1978, offering a wide selection of contemporary to traditional American-made fabric and leather interior furniture for the Foothills lifestyle. Open Monday through Saturday, Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley. Online store at sierratimberline.com. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new edition of The Sages Among Us. Host Keith Porter is scheduled to interview community activist Janie Kesselman. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News will be back Thursday at 6 p.m. Have a great evening.